0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. know so let's jump into Colossians chapter 4 and um, we're going to start uh, let's, let's go ahead uh, and we're, we're closing out the chapter we're going to read the part of the chapter which is known as the final greetings or in the King James the salutations uh, I, I know I've read part of this but let's start at verse 7 if we can put that up on the screen start at verse 7 this is the, the entirety of the final greetings for Paul of his letter to the Colossians uh, Colossians chapter 4 verse 7 says Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. What a, what a recommendation from the Apostle Paul. Uh, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Another great recommendation. Who is one of you? They will tell you everything that's happening here. Now, verse 10 My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. In parentheses, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Verse 12 mentions a guy that we've talked about quite a bit here in this chapter, a man named Epaphras who we believe planted the church in Colossae, but is no longer with them. Um, rather, he is in prison with Paul. So Epaphras, he says, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea in Heropolis. Man, another great recommendation of Epaphras. Now, verse 14 tells us about a couple other guys. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it also that it's read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. Paul always signed off his letters with, with grace. He always said grace be with you or grace to you. Or He's the only, actually, the only uh, apostle who always signed his letters in grace. It was one of his um, kind of signature, sort of secret signatures so that people could know that it was actually written by Paul as opposed to an imposter. Um, Paul references that. Uh, I think it's in the letter to uh, Corinthians, uh, what is technically the third letter of, the, of uh, to the Corinthians. We call it the second letter to Corinthians um, because technically the second was a forgery that had been sent to the church uh, on behalf of supposedly Paul. But Paul comes in in Second Corinthians and says, "No, no, no, that wasn't me." See, he says, this, "Look, the, the, this this one I'm signing off in the special way that you know it's from me." It's just a little. Little little history there. Now most people avoid, I think most preachers avoid preaching on the salutations or the final greetings. Because honestly it's sometimes hard, I guess, to see how this is applicable to our lives. Paul is writing nearly 2,000 years ago, 65 A.D. We are currently in 2019 A.D. Almost 2020, come on somebody. Almost 2020. Uh, A little bit of time has passed. Paul is sending greetings to people, right? He's sending greetings to Archippus, um, saying, saying, hey, stand firm, continue what your calling is. Uh, see to it, you complete your ministry. He's also sending greetings to the folks in Laodicea and specifically Nympha uh, and the church that's in her house. But he is also, he's also sending greetings to people, but he's also sending greetings for people. So the first section of the, of the final greetings is greetings to the church in Colossae from people who are with Paul. He starts listing people. So there's really two components to this, to this text. The first component is, is the people that are with Paul who want to send greetings to the church in Colossae. And the second are people who are with the church in Colossae that Paul wants to send greetings to. And he wants to give a specific message to. And while these people have all passed on, they're all dead. Uh, we might say, well, how is that, how is that beneficial? Uh, well, I still believe it's very beneficial because, one, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the whole book is inspired by the Holy Spirit, meaning even the final greetings was inspired by the Holy Spirit. God wanted Paul to include this in his letter, the early church Uh, recognize the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this letter and canonize this letter as the Word of God, not just the letter of a man. And so when we look at the Word of God, we see I think think the structure is really important. I think the structure is so important. He starts off Colossians chapter 1 with what theologians call the most elevated view of Jesus in all of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1 is it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is Everything. He is above everything. Jesus is life. And then chapter 2 he gets into how to build your life upon Jesus. And so we've been spending literally months walking through those passages. I'm not going to rehash them. If you if you want to rehash them, go online, listen to the podcast, and uh, you can see that. I don't know how many podcasts there are about Colossians, but they're all there. They all have the same little logo next to them. Uh, we're kind of people might think that's the only logo we have, but it's not. It's just we've been stuck in the same passage. And so, man, chapter one is all about Jesus, and that's the first thing, by the way. When you come to God, you must receive Jesus as your Savior. You must put your faith in Jesus. If you don't start there, you'll never be able to take the next step. So the first step is Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Receive Jesus. Know Jesus. I mean, it's all about Jesus. But after that, man, you need to build your life on him. You need to figure out some boundaries. You need to get free of some traps. You need to get step into some obedience, following him, and watch him work in your life. That's really what most of chapter 2 is all about. And then chapter 3 is the outflow of that. Chapter 3 is, okay, now that you've been resurrected, now that you've put your faith in Jesus and been resurrected, now there's an outflow, uh, there is life, you will be a life-giving source you will bless your family, right? He says husbands and husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husband. You will be a blessing to your family, to your children, to your coworkers. We got into that over the past several weeks. It's going to flow from you to somebody else. But here in chapter 4, nearly the entire chapter is devoted to a list of names. Which I feel is kind of important. I feel it's important that after you've found Jesus, after you've decided to follow him, after you are starting to see some of that fruit in your life, you need to get some names. (laughs) It just strikes me that Paul knows all of these names. He's sitting there in prison, and he starts listing people who are with him. So let let me ask you a question. Can you list the people who are with you? Because I guarantee if you look around and list the people who are with you. What is our modern saying? You tell me your friends, I'll tell you your future. When you begin to list the people that are with you, it starts to explain why you are where you are. It starts to explain what you believe, why you believe what you believe. It starts to explain the decisions that you've made. So, so it's important to have Jesus. It's important to build your life on him. It's important for that to have in a working, outflowing in your life. But it is also important that you are connected to some people who exemplify who Jesus is and what Jesus taught. It, you, you need some people. Uh, I, I think Oprah said you need to find your tribe. And uh, that was that was that was that was nice but unfortunately people took that and they took that to mean I need to find people who think just like me and 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 vote just like me and go to the same church and that that's not what I'm talking about by finding your tribe I don't mean find people who just think you are you know so awesome and all that in a bag of chips come on 1990 all that the bomb.com we're just I'm not talking about people who just are going to affirm you. I mean people who are going to push you to follow after Jesus. Do you have those people in your life? Because Paul had those people. If I don't get anything out of this, I I don't know the people. I I mean, we have in church history, we have some stories about them. We have some references to them. And I'm going to get into that here in a minute in scripture. But for the most part, these people are not the point. The point is that Paul had some people. And so my question is, do you have some people? You need to have some people. Your kids need to have some people. It's great that you found Jesus, but you and the YouTube preacher is not going to cut it. You and a little five-minute exhortation from Stephen Furtick is not going to get you through the most difficult times in your life. And I like Stephen Furtick. He's never had a 90 Sunday, but I'm just saying, he's not, he's not quite there. But, you know, he, he, he's working on a little church over there in the East Coast. He's working on a little something. And it's, it's good. And to get the little five minute motivation for your day is great. But I know a lot of people that they just keep getting all these five-minute motivations, but they can't seem to live the life because they don't have any people. You know, Jesus with skin on. You know, living epistles known and read of all men. Those are the kind of people that you need to get around, which is why, hey, guess what? You came to church today to sit next to, to meet, and to shake hands with, and to hug the neck of, and to sign up to be a part of a small group. I'm just throwing this out there. With some people. Now, I'm not saying they're perfect people. I, these people are not perfect. We'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. So, so finding your tribe is not finding people who think just like you, and it's also not finding people who are perfect because you'll never find those people on this planet. When Paul lists the people who are in his life, man, it's, it's, it's astounding. So I want to grab some truths from these people, some things that we know, and I want to apply them to you uh, because uh, we all need some people. We all need some, uh, as my pastor would say, heroes of the faith. And I don't mean guys with capes on and leotards. I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean some people who are going after God. Some people who, who, who maybe when we're down, they're not. <laughs> maybe when we're struggling, they're not. Maybe when we failed, they didn't that particular week. And maybe they can help keep So they can keep us. They can call us. And so we all need some people. We all need some heroes. And by the way, I think we need to be heroes. I think God's calling some of us to be the people. We're not all Apostle Pauls, but we're all called to be a part of somebody's circle. We're all called to be supporting someone, to be there for someone. And so there's some, there's, there's some truths about the people that uh, God's calling us to be, some truths about heroes that I would like to, that I'd like to talk about. First off is heroes are human. So we had the H's there, so that's why I wanted to throw that in there because it's true. It must be true if they both start with H. Heroes are human. And so Paul deals with a couple of these, these humans. Uh, first off, he talks about Mark. If we could go back uh, to, I think it's verse, let's see, verse 7 or, no, no, we were, uh, let's see, verse 10. is where he talks about his fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. And then he says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, for you, that may not mean much, but it's interesting to me that he's mentioning Mark and that Mark is with him. Because in the book of Acts, Mark was not always with him. Uh, in fact, right about 13 years before this letter was written On Paul's first missionary journey Mark left him Mark took off Now he's still there with him Now, 13 years later, he's, in, he's literally in prison with him He is there with him and he is a blessing to him And Paul says of him, he says you've received instructions about him And if he comes to you, you need to welcome him He's a good guy He's on our team. He's one of our people. He's a hero of the faith. But it's interesting that he wasn't always that way. In the book of Acts, on Paul's first missionary journey, Paul had Barnabas with him. His name means son of encouragement. It seems that Barnabas was probably Paul's mentor. Barnabas was, Paul was just getting started in ministry. He's on his first tour, ministering to people, going from city to city, sharing the gospel of Jesus. And Barnabas is there with him. And then Mark, who is Barnabas' cousin, he's related to him, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, was with Paul. And while they're on their journey, Mark leaves him. Uh, there's different reasons as to why. I think the official reason is that he went to be with his mother, which is a sweet, kind, that's a good Texas reason. Paul, sorry, I can't, I can't stay with you because my mom, you know, my mom, she's 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 not doing so good, so he leaves Paul in the middle of his missionary journey. But what's interesting is a lot of scholars believe that that wasn't the only reason, because less than a year after Mark leaves Paul, the General Council in Jerusalem, the Council of the original disciples, call Paul on the carpet for the way that he's doing ministry. And so a lot of people believe that, that Mark or John Mark, which was his name, didn't just have to tend to his mother, but he was also concerned about the way Paul was conducting ministry and that he went and tattletaled to the church in Jerusalem and filed an official complaint that, hey, we have this new evangelist and he's doing things differently. He's not doing things the way that Peter and James and John and the rest of the, and Matthew and the rest of the disciples, he's not doing things the way that they're doing them. He's doing them differently because because Peter and James and John and Matthew and and Mark and the original disciples, man, they were there when Jesus ascended into heaven and he said, first go to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the utmost parts of the earth. And so their strategy for spreading the gospel was first going to the Jews. They would always go to to the tabernacles, to the synagogues, and they would try to, tell the jews that their messiah had come and that was their missionary strategy paul wasn't doing that paul was going to weird places mars hill and he's standing up there with all these other he's going to secular places he's going to the bars he's going to the he's going to sixth street i don't i don't know that he actually went to sixth street but he went he went to those kind of streets he didn't go to the churches he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't going to the local assemblies of God. He was going to Sixth Street. And Mark says, hold, hold, "Hold up a second. This is not the way we do things. You, if 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 you take away something, you you really ought to understand that much of the division that happens in the church is really about the how we do things." Yeah. It was that way 2,000 years ago, and it's still that way in 2019. Most of us don't disagree with what we do. It's how we do them that we disagree. Entire denominations, actually, are formed off of the idea that we think you ought to do it differently. Not that we disagree on what you're doing. We just don't think you should do it in that way. So there's, you know, there's there's a denomination up north. I'm not sure that it's down here much, but there's an entire denomination of people that don't believe you should have drums in church or guitars in church or instruments. Is that a thing in the South too? Well, that was a thing back in the 90s. That was a thing. And Now, now they don't mean that you shouldn't worship because you still sing. You just don't play instruments while singing because drums are of the devil, obviously. They are the Satan's toys and Satan... Just, and so they're, they're very much against that. Uh, but, 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 what's, but what's kind of funny is, uh, as somebody who's always had drums in church, I, I, I find it kind of funny is that they found that people, when they just start singing without music, like they can't stay on tune. I don't know if you know this now, you all can't stay on tune even with music, but I'm just saying. That's why scripture says make a joyful noise. So it's all good, it's all good. But but they couldn't stay on tune, so so they do have one instrument by the way in those churches. They have a pitch pipe. Apparently Jesus is good with pipes. Come on, Austin. I guess I, I guess he's good with pipes. He's not good with drums. He's good. With, but as long as you get this little pitch pipe and you and if, the, if if you're singing a hymn in the key of D, you you you, you push the you, you you blow a little D note, and then we start. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. And you you, you go from there. And if if, if it derails, you don't get out the pitch pipe again. You just just end it. We're just doing verses 1 and 3 today, folks. Just 1 and 3. That's all we're doing. Because you guys don't even know verse 2 and 4. Because we never sing it. So anyway, but no, there's entire denominations. because, And it's not that they disagree with that we should be worshiping Jesus in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. It's just the how... You worship, and there's so much disagreement, man, about the how, and I mean, I get it, I understand, that. that but I, to some extent, man, we need to come together on the what. We just if, if you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then okay, fine, if you don't do drums and I do drums, we can still come together in unity, even though we do it differently. There's some people that think you demonstrate your faith by bringing out the, the rattlesnakes, you know, and uh, so it's like, all right, let's see who has faith, and they break out the rattlesnakes, and uh, that's not me. That's I don't have that kind of faith. I have the kind I have the kind of faith that moves mountains, not that kind of faith. I have the kind of faith that makes demons run away, not snakes, you know. And so I just I'll stick I'll stick with you. Stick with your snakes, and but but we both agree that you need to have faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the how is often so very different. And so Mark disagreed with Paul's how. He said, yeah, he's sharing the gospel, but... He's not doing it the way that, that we've been doing it. And so he, it seems that he went and sounded the alarm in Jerusalem. And the, within a year, Jerusalem council calls Paul on the carpet and says, what's going on here? Paul explains what's going on. And they finally say, you know what? We're going to deliberate about this. And they do. They pray about it. And they say, Paul, you're right. God's speaking to you a true thing. You go and speak to the Gentiles. You go to 6th Street. You go to the clubs. You go, go for it. Now, after that, Mark wanted to go back with him. So his second missionary journey, Mark's like, okay, the council said it's good, so it must be good. I'm good with it. And Paul said, uh, no. And Barmas really wanted, Paul to go, really wanted Mark to go with Paul. And, and, and they had a really severe argument where Paul said, I'm not taking the guy with me who forsook me in the middle of the fight last time. And so he's not going with me. And it's one of those things in Scripture, actually, in the book of Acts, that people go, well, who was right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? Because Barnabas said, no, no, let's give him a second chance. He's got this. And so what happened was Barnabas said, well, if Mark can't go, I'm not going. And Barnabas and Mark went on their own missionary journey. And so if you ask who was right and who was wrong, well, they were both right and they were both wrong. And God used it for his glory because instead of getting one missionary journey going on, he had a second missionary journey going on. So you, you, everybody doesn't have to go to the same church for God to reach a city. You know what I'm saying? Like We don't all have to get everybody a city chapel. It's okay for other denominations and other churches because God will use it. And actually, God used Mark so much because after Mark left Paul, Mark came really close to Peter. And then Mark got close to Peter, that's when Mark wrote, The gospel of Mark. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was written by Mark, but almost all scholars believe that it wasn't written from Mark's own account of things. It was written from Peter's account. So technically, the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter which you kind of pick that up when you read the gospel of Mark, because it's all from Peter's perspective. It's like, bam, this happened, bam, that happened, bam, that happened, bam, that Immediately, that's Mark's favorite word, immediately. And if you know anything about Peter, that's Peter's favorite word. And so, uh, so Mark writes the gospel of Mark under the influence of Peter. Now, 13 years later, he's back with Paul. God can, God can bring people back. Heroes are human, heroes disagree, but that doesn't mean heroes have to be divided. We can come back together under the banner of Jesus. And uh, anyway, so I I love that. But but, but, but the other human here in this this story is a guy named Demas. In verse 14, he says, our dear friend Luke and Demas. Now, Demas was an interesting character. We don't know much about Demas except he was from Thessalonica. Um, he got saved during one of Paul's missionary journeys and started following him and connected with him and was serving alongside of him. Uh, but the, the saddest thing we know about Demas is found in 2 Timothy. So if we can put that scripture up, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. This is Paul's final letter, by the way, before he dies and is martyred for the faith. He says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Well, he was from Thessalonica. He went back. <laughs> Heroes sometimes go back. I don't care how far you've gone. There's a temptation. The enemy will always get you to look over your shoulder and say, remember, wasn't it so much easier when? Wasn't it so much better when? So, so, so the point is, that heroes are human and sometimes heroes fall. And the Holy Spirit knew that Demas was going to forsake Paul and have the love of the world in his heart. Paul didn't know that. Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's like, hey, make sure you put down Demas' name in there. Okay, Lord. Yeah, he's doing all right. He's with me. And God said, yeah, he's with you now, but he's not going to be with you later. And yet God still said, let's include him. Because you need to know... That, that just because you, you come to a place of faith, you come to a place even of maturity, that the same rules apply to you that apply to Demas. The same thing applied to me that applied to Demas. That you can walk with him, you can, you can be serving alongside him, you can, you can be so full on into God. Demas quit his job, quit left everything behind, went following full force after God. But there was something right there... Uh, In 2 Timothy 4.10 that says because he loved this world, the love of the world never left him. He acquired a love for God and that was good, but he held on to another thing called the love of the world. What's the love of the world? Well, it's the love of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's the things of the world. It's to love the things of the world, to strongly desire the things of the world. However, in Scripture, it said of, of real heroes of the faith that they loved not their life unto death. I don't, I don't know. Hey, we're in the 90s. I don't know if you guys remember uh, Jim Baker. Yeah. Jim and Tammy Faye. You don't get any more 90s than Tammy Faye's hair. Yeah. Tammy Faye's hair. That is, that's, that's aerosol, hairspray. That's, that's all up. And uh, we, were, we, were, we, we were a part of that ministry. The PTL, it stands for Praise the Lord we were my family was in the my, my dad's with us here today he's helping with the tech table we were in the ptl club uh back, that was kind of in the 80s and i remember going i think it was in north carolina where he had the ptl club where if you supported the ministry you could go and stay at this at this place and i mean it was it was a big deal and and and, and they were doing a lot of good things jim and tammy faye and then uh the love of the world you know the money Got a lot of money going on, a lot of money flowing, some private jets flowing, some mansions, some pretty women. And Jim is found having an affair, and he's actually put in jail. I think they charged him with extortion is what they finally got him on. Uh, and just shocking, shocked the Christian world, shocked so many people. How can you be so on fire for God, have so many great people? revelations about God, speak, preach to millions of people, literally on television, massive ministry, and then you just, you just throw it all away. Well, it's, it's simple. It's the same thing that gets you and me, even though we don't have you know, national ministries. It's the love of the world. While Jim was in jail, uh, uh, one Christian leader went and visited with him, and he had an interview with him, and he said, Jim, when did you stop loving God? And Jim said, wow, I never stopped loving God. I stopped fearing God. Wow. <laughs> wow. He never lost his affection for Jesus. He just kept some affections for other things too. Here's our human, man. And the, and the beauty of that is if you're human, then you are eligible <laughs> to be a hero. And you're also eligible to fall. But even like Jim, you are also eligible to come back from the fall. You are eligible to be redeemed. The grace of God is that if you're still living, man, it's not over. It's not over. And years later, I actually got to meet Jim in an airport. I, I, I saw him walking, and I was traveling with, 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 with the minister I was traveling with. It's 2004. And, uh, yeah, I ran into him, got to talk to him. And, And just to see what God's doing in his life, to see the repentance that happened in his life, to see the change that happened, I'm telling you, it's not too late. It's never too late for a comeback. If If you don't get anything else out of 90 Sunday, just know it's never too late to bring something back out of the closet, to put it back on, to put it back to use. You might have been in the closet for a long time, but it's never too late. It's never too late. Heroes are human. Heroes are also present. Paul talks about a man named Luke the doctor. Luke the doctor is somebody who was with Paul right up to the very end. As we see in Luke chapter, uh, second, not Luke, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Paul's about to be killed for the faith, and, his, and his, the only companion he had who stuck with him was a guy named Luke. And Luke is, quote, the doctor, according to Paul. And uh, he calls him that, I think, because that was his most uh, helpful asset to Paul. Because Paul, unlike you and me, Paul was persecuted for being a Christian. Paul was uh, stoned like multiple times and left for dead. By stoned, I mean where they take rocks and throw them at your body and at your head until they believe you're dead. And so they, multiple times, he was shipwrecked a couple times as well. He, 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 was, he was beaten with rods a few times. He was, he was, he was beaten with, with the cat of nine tails. Twice, this thirty-nine times, because if you do forty times, it kills you. And so his back. Now they didn't have antiseptic back then. They didn't have uh, anything. They 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 stripped his back, bruised, bloody. I mean, sh- just shards of flesh hanging off his back, and then threw him back in the dungeon. And so it heals. All knotted, and the muscles don't 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 heal right and the and the tendons don't come back together right and so it's said that paul uh, toward the latter part, like at this part in his journey, just to get out of bed, he needed somebody to pour oil on his incredibly bumpy pus filled back because it never heals right because it's infected, and they don't have the necessary stuffed antiseptic to get rid of the infection so all you can do is just deal with the infection so the kind of sickness that would come to your body when your entire back is infected uh that you're susceptible to i mean the kind the medical kind of peril that paul lived in and he talks about that a little bit at time to time talks about a thorn in his flesh a thorn in his flesh Uh, it was a little more than just one particular i mean it was it was this his body was being broken he even said we are we are dying we are literally, as I'm living, I'm dying. And, 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 he, and he, he talked about how his eyesight was going bad. Probably from his several beatings. Probably from, from massive contusions to his head. Probably from his eyes actually being scarred from different things. And so Paul has a doctor. This doctor says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to stick with you, and I'm going to deal with the scars that you're taking on. You know, and man, we need some doctors today. We we notice Paul doesn't have any judges. <laughs> Luke, the uh, the justice warrior. He don't he, he don't have any motivators. Because he's already motivated by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need somebody to cheer him on. He doesn't, and he already has the Holy Spirit to tell him what's right and wrong. He doesn't need a judge. He needs a doctor. He needs somebody when life has beaten him up. And you might need somebody that when life has beaten you up, that there's somebody who's going to bind up the wounds, who's going to, who's going to help deal with the scars of your life. And by the way, it's not just, I don't think Luke's, Luke just always said, Hey, Paul, you're looking great. Everything's going great. Everything is good no he said man you got some serious wounds here we need to clean that out it's not going to be comfortable for you but it's going to be helpful for you a true friend is not somebody who just always tells you what you want to hear but is there with you at your lowest point points, and even at your lowest point is there to encourage and push you toward health push you toward a relationship with jesus it's why you don't need to find your tribe. You need to find Jesus. And you need somebody, you need a tribe that helps pushes you toward Jesus. Because the best thing we can do for you is be honest with you about your scars. Be honest about your wounds. And truly try to bring healing to you. Sit with you. Talk with you. For as long as it takes. Luke is, Luke is that guy. And by the way, Luke was no, he wasn't just a doctor. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. So, so the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was written by Mark, and Luke was written by Luke. By the way, in the gospel of Luke, that's how we... We have Christmas because of Luke. Yeah. We literally. That's the only reason why we know that Jesus was born in a stable. That's the only reason that we know about these wise men who came from afar. That's the only reason that we know about Mary's encounter with the angels and Joseph. The whole deal is written by Luke. Well Luke's a doctor. So he's like, Well, we gotta get the we gotta get the birth and the pregnancy right, okay? We gotta they gotta know the birth and the pregnancy. Now Mark, no, he just starts, he, st- he just does like, well, there was, there, was, there was this man who just kind of came out of the wilderness, and here he is. And John's like, yeah, there was this forerunner, and he kind of presented this other guy. And Matthew's like, hey, here's his lineage, and then boom, here he is. And Mark, uh, Luke is like, no, no, we got we to gotta get some details about the birth and, and the miraculous. We wouldn't know about the virgin birth. It's implied in other places, but it is not expressly written, except for Luke. So Luke is no slouch, okay? Luke is, Luke is a scholar. Luke is somebody who, he wasn't even one of the disciples. Notice he's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's not listed with the Jews. So he had to go around and research all this stuff. He had to talk to all the people. He had, I don't know, maybe he talked with Mary. Maybe he talked with Joseph. He had to get the details down. And yet Luke is wasting his time with his preacher in a jail cell Helping, helping to clear the, some of the infection on his back. I wonder how many times Luke was like, man, my whole education down the tubes. I've, written, I've literally written the gospel of Luke, and here I am. And yet God used him, because as he was with Paul, in fact, while Paul was in prison, uh, Luke said, let me, let me help you in your defense. Let me write a story to the Roman government to help explain why... You are why the Jews are so mad about what you're preaching. And so he wrote the book of Acts as a defense for Paul. So Luke, while he's cleaning out pussy sores and infected cuts and wounds, and he's also getting the lowdown from Paul about how this whole thing happened. Tell me about the day of Pentecost. What was that all about? Tell me about the time that you met Jesus on the road. What, what road was that? What, what happened? And, he's, and he's, he's writing down. I'm telling you, you don't, you don't know what God will do through you while you're setting aside your ego just to serve somebody. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Some of your best work <laughs> will come out of not the stage, not the platform, and not the Gospel of Luke, but sometimes it's just the book of Acts. 99% of what we know about the early church comes from the book of Acts. If it wasn't for the book of Acts, we wouldn't know hardly anything about what happened to the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. It's like, he gone. And then we got these epistles. Now do this, now do that. We would have no, no examples. We, have, we wouldn't know about Paul. Who's this Paul guy writing all these letters? But Luke brought it to us. And it was handed down from generation to generation. God will use people who are just simply present, who are just simply available, who are just simply servants. Even brilliant people. Like Luke. And Luke was there at the very end. Heroes are also generous. Paul steps into his greetings. And he says, I, I want to point out somebody. I want to point out Nymphus. And uh, he says, make sure to send the greeting to the folks in Laodicea. The Christians there, the brothers and sisters there. But also, especially in verse 15, he says, to Nympha and the church in her house. It's interesting that a woman is mentioned. And there's, there's, there's debate about whether it was actually a woman or a man. The word nympha could sort of go either way. It's, it's one of those words in the New Testament. Uh, but the NIV feels like it's, it's, it's a woman, and it does make sense since it was her house, and she opened up her house for the church to meet there. And this is something we've been talking about at City Chapel this year. We've been talking about giving to God, which is why we're excited about giving. Uh, giving financially to the Lord, giving sacrificially to the Lord is not a downer. It's not a bummer. It's not like, oh, I have to do this. No, I get to support the kingdom of God. And this is something that Paul says, man, I want you to make sure to recognize nympha. Nympha means attractive or beautiful or popular. That you have this popular person who uses her popularity. And she's obviously pretty well off because she has a house. In those days, if you owned a house, you were pretty well off. But if you owned a house big enough to house a church... Even nowadays, you would be very well off. If this was the size of my living room, I would be pretty well off. Uh, Yeah, in those days, man, if you could house a church, you were very well off. And so she's popular and she's wealthy. And yet she doesn't use her popularity or her wealth to build her own kingdom. She uses her popularity and her wealth to build the kingdom of God. And God blesses that. God, man, that's what heroes do. That's what, that's what the kind of people I'm talking about, this is the kind of people that we need in 2019. We, they needed them in, ni- in, in, in 65 AD. We need them in 2019 AD. People who have influence and who have money who say, I'm going to use my influence and my money for something that's eternal. I'm going to use it for something that will extend beyond my lifetime. I want to I, 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 I be a part of something bigger than just myself. And so in that sense, Nympha turned her house into more than a house. Turned into a church, into the house of God. She turned her house into the house of God. It's just so incredible. She opens up her house. And by the way, her popularity would have taken a hit. (laughs) Because in those days, in 65 AD, Nero had just been elected a few years prior. And that's actually why Paul's in prison, because Nero hated all other religions other than the original religion of Rome. He was trying to sort of bring us, bring them back, bring the republic back to the, the place it was founded on. And he was out to, to destroy all these other religions that were kind of pulling people away. And he saw Christianity as one of those that was on the rise. And so history, the historians write that Nero lit a fire himself. I don't know if that that's proven, but a lot, several historians say that he actually started a fire in downtown rome in the in the market district and then blamed it on the christians which by the way is a really good way to stir up hate towards somebody if you call them a terrorist i'm just saying that's what they called them christians were terrorists because you know they're the they're they're responsible for the fire that burned up a third of of downtown rome Never mind, Nero built his own house over the place that was wiped out. But anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there, but uh, that's a conspiracy theory. But, but, but man, those Christians, those terrorists, they were terrorists. Also, also, if you read the writings of the Roman governors back and forth to each other, they believed that Christians were not only terrorists, but they were also cannibals. Because like today, we ate the body and blood of Christ. So they said they get together and they eat flesh and they drink blood. They're cannibals. And not only were the terrorists, they were cannibals, they were also atheists. Because they looked at all of the little gods of Rome and they said those gods don't exist. Those are just statues. They they don't believe in God. (laughs) Well, things have really turned around, haven't they? Some some things have changed quite a bit. I'm telling you, it wasn't popular to be a Christian. There were no Hillsong concerts. (laughs) There weren't billboards in, in downtown New York. It wasn't cool. There wasn't a whole Nashville, you know, music industry around the worship organizations. It it was not cool. They were terrorists, cannibals, and atheists. And Nympha said, come on in. Come on into my house. Heroes do the right thing even when it's not popular. They sacrifice their wealth. They sacrifice their popularity for the cause of Christ. And finally, heroes need encouragement. Paul says, tell Archippus. See to it that you complete the ministry you receive from the Lord. The name Archippus, it's believed that Archippus was actually the son uh, of the pastor there, the guy that was pastoring in, uh, in Epaphras' place, and that he was the firstborn son. Archippus means the one who tames the horse. So from his name, you can kind of imagine he was a pretty tough guy, pretty strong guy, pretty self-confident guy. It's interesting that Paul reaches out to the one who seems so confident on the outside, And he says, hey, see to it that you complete the ministry you receive. Keep going. Don't quit. Sometimes people who seem confident, you don't know that they're thinking about quitting. You don't know that they're dreaming about quitting. And as one pastor said, and I've told our staff this, it's okay to want to quit. As long as you remember that you are not going to quit. (laughs) As long as you remind yourself that you're not going to quit. Heroes need encouragement. When I was 16 and going through, man, some depression, which I've talked about, uh, one of my heroes, Pastor Rusty, looked at me. He didn't even know what I was going through. He just knew I was struggling, I guess. He could tell that. He just looked at me and he said, Harry, you're going to make it. And at 16, that, that ministered to me. I needed somebody to tell me that I was going to make it, that, that could see me in the middle of my situation and still have faith that God was doing something still have faith that something better was going to come out of it. Because at 16, you don't see far beyond 16. I mean, 17 is a mile away. <laughs> 18 is a 100 light years away. You're never going to be 18. But to have somebody who can see you and say, you're going to make it. I believe in you. I believe in what God's put inside of you. It means, meant a lot to me. And you don't know what kind of hero needs your encouragement. So my altar call today is real simple. We're going to, We're going to end with uh, some worship, and if I can have Pete and uh, the worship team, just come on down. Let's get ready to play this song. Uh, But my altar call today is, man, if God's laying on your heart, I, I believe as we close out this book of Colossians, book of Colossians, God's calling some of us to step up and to answer the call to be this kind of person, to be the kind of person that gives generously, to be the kind of person that brings encouragement to be the kind of person that stands alongside people that are hurting. To be the kind of person who, yes, is human, but but is also faithful to God. And if God's calling you to be that, I would just, I'm just gonna do something I don't ever do. I'm just gonna challenge you to stand with me and say, that's me, I'm going to, I'm going to be by God's grace, I'm going to be that kind of person. So on the count of three, if God's calling you to do that, would you stand with me? One, two, three. The Lord's calling you and leading you by his grace. That's awesome. And if you're not quite there yet, that's fine too. Maybe you need encouragement. You need somebody to come alongside you. But man, all over this room, people are standing and answering the call. Father, you see us right here. Let's go to him and pray. I'd like to pray over you. Lord, you see us and you see what you've been doing in our lives. And you see, you see what brought us to this place. And Lord, I just pray for strength over each one of these, these precious people who are standing, committing to follow after you. They're not perfect. They're never going to be. But they can be perfectly in love with you. They can be perfectly chasing you. They can be perfectly following you. They can have a pure heart as much in as much as they're able. They can do everything that you've called them to do by your grace and by your power. And so, Lord, no matter where, no matter where they came from, no matter what even what they did last night, Lord, we're standing before you right now. And this is a new day. This is a day that you've made. And we're going to follow you. We're going to step into obedience. We're going to We're going to be the the kind of people that you've called us to be. And as much as we're able, by your grace and by your power, we're stepping into that. Boldly just standing up and saying, that's me. I'm going to do that. Thank you, Lord, that you respond to that. You give grace. You give grace. You give it abundantly. Maybe some of us need wisdom. You're also pretty generous with that. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously hold it against us and so we ask you lord show us how to live this out in our lives show us who needs encouragement show us show us how we can be your hands and your feet in our community in our workplaces in our school in our very homes in our church lord in jesus name we pray amen now one other go ahead and leave the lights up one other i didn't tell you when i have two altar calls one other thing that I, I just feel like god's calling some of us to do is to bring that encouragement. to bring that encouragement to people. Paul said to Demas, man, I want, I want you to know, you have a calling on your life. Come on now. You have it. You have a ministry that God's given you. Now go for it. Keep going. And so I would like, and we've, we've, we've never done this, but I, wanna, I just want to take a minute and actually just, as I've been preaching, maybe God's been laying somebody on your heart who's been a hero to you. Maybe there's an archivist that you know. Maybe there's somebody who's been an example to you in your life. And they're not perfect. They're human too. But they have a calling on their life. And they might need encouragement. They, they, they look strong, but you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what the questions are, are in their mind right now. And so I want to give us just two minutes, if they're in this room, for you to go to them and just hug them, maybe shake their hands. Say, hey, you're, you're an encouragement to me. Keep going. You have a calling on your life. Keep going. Okay, so this is going to be real uncomfortable because you're going to have to <gasps> talk to other people. But uh, but hey, I'm telling you, you don't know who's, who it's going to bless. And so, well, yeah, just right now, folks stepping out, go ahead. Let's take 60 seconds. Step out from your seat. Find somebody. If they're in this room, connect with them. Shake their hand. Let them know they're an encouragement to you. They're a blessing to you. And if they're not in this room, grab your cell phone. Yeah, yeah. Text them. Text them right now. Maybe it's your maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your mom and dad. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you can text and say, hey, you're an encouragement to me. You've been a blessing to me. You have a call in your life. I know God's using you. That's awesome.